Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Janelli, and my favorite tribe is goblins. Oh, uh, sorry, I was waving like slime foot. Uh, I'm Andrew Weissel. Um, man, you can't just lead off with favorite stuff. I'm bad at favorite stuff. Slivers or homerids or maybe oozes or Eldrazi? I don't know. A lot. So indecisive. I'm Carrie. My favorite tribe would probably be druids. Um, druids? It's, it's actually, it. it was between druids and clerics because those are the, both the underrepresented tribes that got like very, very weird tribal support cards during Lorwyn block slash Shadowmoor block. Hmm, that's fair. Yeah, Druids had the tap seven Druids you control and gain control of all of target players' lands. Yeah, that and sucks. And then Clerics had the prevent X damage where X is the number of Clerics you control, which is just, like, <laughs> an absurd card. But at the same time, like, you can just protect somebody. All game. Even yourself. But ideally politics. You could save somebody's life, even your own. Yeah. I had a Druid's deck early, early on that was Crucifix, and it was just mana acceleration, save all your mana, and then hurricane everyone, and we all die at once. It was a horrible deck. So when I got back into magic around Future Sight, I actually, I had no interest in goblins before then. Um, but when I get back into it, I built a red-black Zomblin deck based around, I think the name of the card was Shambling Goblin, and I like tried to do both tribes. But then my buddy, uh, who I traded my Corlash Heir to Black Blade to, and he had like a four of Corlash Heir to Black Blade zombie deck, and so I got tired of zombies and just made it goblins. And then Lorwyn started, and then the dual deck uh, Goblins versus Elves came out, and I was just hooked after that. That was like my key deck for the next <laughs> 10 years. So anyway, let's go into magic news. So announcement day. We record before announcement day. I'm sorry for the anticlimactic, uh, very excited speech. <laughs> uh, but we are seeing uh, what our options are. When we record this, it's Wednesday. Announcement day is Friday. We might try and get something out over the weekend, or we might try and insert it here, in which case you won't be hearing this. You'll be hearing, like, Andrew and Carrie's voice talking about actual announcement day stuff. But if we did do something and got it out this weekend, you're welcome. Yeah. Congrats. That was very kind of us. Yeah, we're, we're good people like that. <laughs> but if we didn't, uh, I, I don't even know. I'm sorry. Then it doesn't matter because this doesn't exist. Ooh. It's true. What is real? Except in uh, Will Blank's remix of our all our edited out those cast bits. <laughs> We're not actually going to do that, are we? The lip smacking no. good episode. There's, there's going to be no. so much lip smacking. No. Yeah, here, here's a couple. Here's a couple here. <laughs> Ooh, and some dogs barking in the background. Nice. Woof, woof, woof. Get you an ambulance right. or two, and you got it. <laughs> so it was otherwise a light news week. Uh, the Magic Story podcast on the Church of Sarah was really good and i recommend listening to it but it was i would say 90 percent things we've talked about already topics we've covered already in the podcast yeah. especially around m25 so uh give it a listen it's definitely worth listening to but we're not going to rehash any of it there um because there wasn't much in the way of revelations uh, but the thing we do want to talk about today is uh mark rosewater's odds and ends dominaria part one 
where he mentions something major was cut from Dominaria's story when uh, Codename Salad, which was supposed to be Dominaria's small set, became Corset 2019 instead. So we've been speculating on what that uh, story piece might be, and I think the two big ones are... Return of the, the Hummerids. <laughs> yes, that was definitely one of our, where, our top where uh, they, they They find Galena's grave and desecrate it, because that's what she <laughs> deserves. Podcast note, post a link. Baron Boar had collected a whole bunch of old short stories from all kinds of sources back in the early days of magic. Uh, there's one about Galena's cowardly escape into the future and across the plane. I'll, I'll post a link for it so so y'all can read it and see how terrible of a person she is. She is a monstrous dictator. What were we talking about again? <laughs> the two big ideas for what was cut. Never give Andrew an opportunity to talk about Vidalians. Uh, so, or do, if you want to spend some time. They're uh, the worst. So, we were talking about what the potential uh, thing moved from Salad was. And I think our two big ideas are either uh, Zalfir, like phasing back in Zalfir, or more Zalfir-centric plot, because the whole there isn't going to be time to play out the whole apocryphal legacy bit of uh teferi going around trying to find artifacts uh or the alternative was the raven man so if we don't get a raven man reveal in dominaria i feel like that's really got to be what was pushed because when else would they do it at this point you know yeah i agree so what did you guys think it was or which one (sighs) i do think it's the raven man like I i feel like it is andrew the Raven Man, well, no, you can't trick me into speculating on future things. I can't do that. Oh, I must for that. Well, since Andrew said Zelfir, um, I will definitely say that I don't think it was either. I think it was actually Blue's Artifact Destruction Spell and Story Spotlight. Um, probably the fifth one was going to be Tefiri Crunching. <laughs> <laughs> Tefiri's Crunch. Just needed to make it out for... Um, legality reasons yeah uh that's that's fair that's fair all right so today we're doing something a little bit different uh there's no listener questions segment today today we are doing a feature which um we'll be having more of these especially once the story ends but because of all the hubbub around return to dominaria episode 9 specifically the uh continuity errors uh both uh, in how people perceived Jace and how uh, the timeline for Chandra and the timeline for Jace for Mixlon don't match up. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about paradigm shifts in magic story, storytelling. So uh, one thing that was clear is that from like our good friend Berend, who, um, who had tweeted about it and has lived through a whole bunch of paradigm shifts, you know, when, when we know it's coming, we know there are going to be issues. There are either going to be retcons or there might be errors as things resettle. start to get on track again. As resettle, that's a good way to put it. And as uh, appropriate processes get put in place the first time out, there's always going to be problems. So today we just wanted to, and I should also say, I know it's scary for a lot of people who have been on Magic Story since like Magic Origins. 
which I think is a huge amount of the Vorthos community right now. Yeah, very, very good jumping on point. It was, and it's freely available. So I would say it's like most of Tumblr and a huge amount of the Vorthos community otherwise uh, that weren't buying novels, but when the story is available online and of good quality, they'll they'll read it and they'll follow it and care about it and the characters. But uh, for those of you who are worried about you know, the changes going on in the story with outside authors being brought in and uh, the story being handled differently than it has been up until this point since Magic Origins. Uh, we just talk a little bit about the paradigm shifts in Magic's past. So I want to note real quick, we're excluding uh, from the creative side, we're excluding how art direction has changed over the years because that's a complicated topic. Uh, what we really want to talk about is how the story was told and who was telling it the time frames and names of people or when they were working at wizards may not be exactly correct as we're talking here uh and i recommend uh sam keeper on gathering magic had a great article uh three article series on the pros and cons of each era of magic storytelling and if you want to learn more i would go check that out so the first area was magic's beginning uh, which is basically from 1993. The story was only on uh, what you saw on the the cards. About a year later... It's called the Flavor f- Text, Jay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, about a year later, um, the first Magic novel came out, but they're all kind of generic fantasy. They weren't really tied to uh, anything specific. So there were the Harper Prism novels that went from 1994 to 1996, uh, and then there was the Armada comic series, which went from 1995 to 1996. This is called the pre-revision era. Uh, the Armada comics were led by Jeff Gomez. They were mostly set on a continent called Corindor. There were They released 34 comics in like two years, which is insane. Yeah, uh, But that covered the plots of Arabian Nights, Antiquities, Legends, Fallen Empires, Homelands. I think that was it. It was canceled before alliances uh, and before the plot could even conclude. So <laughs> if you wanted the, the the epic conclusion to the tale the Armada comics was spinning and setting up for this big event called the Planeswalker War, too bad. And it was also setting up plots for future video games like Chandelar and Battle Mage. So then in 1997, Mirage came around and uh, the story was starting to be handled internally to Wizards. Uh, so Mirage had like Mirage and Visions were essentially a block on their own. The third set in the block, Weatherlight, wasn't actually really related to Mirage's story, but instead to a skyship that was in, in, uh, introduced in Weatherlight's story. I'm sorry, in Mirage's story, uh, which led into a whole new era called the Weatherlight Saga. Uh, which was 1998 to 2001. Pete Venters was the the big name community, I'm sorry, continuity manager at the time. Wizards of the Coast was publishing their own internal novel line about the Weatherlight Saga, along with uh, a bunch of stuff on the side. Everything about the story was on the cards to a ridiculous extent. Uh, but the saga itself was subject to tons of change just over these three years. So it was originally created and plotted by Mark Rosewater and Michael G. Ryan. And that just scrap got scrapped. The plan significantly changed, like 
only the basically the characters themselves and the backgrounds remained. And to this day, Mark Rosewater hasn't talked about what exactly happened there. So that lasted from the set's weatherlight to apocalypse. Uh, at the same time, uh, it was called the revisionist era, essentially, because it revised some stories like the Ice Age Cycle and the Antiquities War, which had already been told, but told them over again uh, and changed a bunch of details. What the revision was, was kind of a tightening of what magic stories were about and how things worked. Like, uh, the one dangerous thing about going to pre-revisionist sources is that the way they talk about the multiverse and planeswalkers is different than how they're talked about now. The revision was one of the things that concretely determined what planeswalkers were, what the multiverse was, how planes interacted with each other. Um, so it was kind of a soft reboot, and there's a lot of pre-revision stories that are still technically canon because they're not contradicted by anything, and then there are some um, that were retold, like like the Ice Age stories. Deck on Black Blade is a good example of one that isn't that's still relevant, but right. uh, hasn't been retold or retooled. And then that was that comic was very important for this Dominaria block because we have the Black Blade being a very important weapon. And it confirmed lots of things from that comic, like Dakin being a planeswalker and Piru being an elder dragon. So that's a situation where a pre-revisionist source is still canon, even through the revision. But, like, there are parts of the Ice Age comic that got changed when those stories were rewritten later. Um, so the latter, the post-revision stories are the ones to consider canon and not the pre-revision so that's kind of the biggest tricky thing, but in general, that was kind of a soft reboot that really codified magic as an IP. And after the heavily lore-intensive uh, merging with the cards in the Weatherlight Saga, when the Weatherlight Saga ended, like, the creative team... I don't know if the creative team disappeared, but like there was a complete and utter disconnect between the cards and the story for the next five years. So from like 2001 to 2006, uh, we entered what was called the planes hopping era. So we started out with like Odyssey and Onslaught, uh, which did take place on Dominaria, but had where the cards were completely disconnected from what was happening in the novels. Card mechanics were totally disconnected from the flavor that was happening on the cards, which was totally disconnected from what was happening in the novels. It was a mess. And at the same time, then there were still the legend cycle being produced during um, Onslaught Block that were entirely, entirely removed from anything that was happening inside the set and were actually calling back to characters within the Legends um, set that was released in the early 90s. And had continu big continuity errors with each other because yeah. they both referenced the same cards from Legends uh, and had them. Yeah, that's, com that, be that's something um, Ethan and Kelly had talked about on the uh, the Magic Story podcast. Is that like like um, Zira Arian, the the Bug Lady? One of those stories describes them as a woman, like a human woman who dresses up in costumes. The other one describes them as an actual bug person. Um, yeah. And there are two different sources that take place at two different times, so oops. <laughs> Ethan's conclusion was there must have been two people with the same name, <laughs> which is not the greatest way to resolve canon, but you gotta do what you gotta do. 
I should note as well that these changes didn't happen overnight. It was a gradual transition that went along with like things that were happening in R&D or in the company in general. Um, so it's not like, uh, you know, I'm naming these dates, but it's not like there's a hard line where certain eras started and certain eras ended um, in most cases. So the planes hopping era took us to Mirrodin, Kamigawa, and uh, Ravnica. Uh, so we ex- actually explored the multiverse for the first time in Magic Story. And I should note, Kamigawa had a whole bunch of short story vignettes that were not very popular at the time. And so the general thinking was that uh, online fiction just wasn't gonna just wasn't gonna make it, guys. <laughs> there was no way to make it work. People didn't want to read it. Uh, I think it had more to do with it being hidden on um, the mini sites that they used to do and not like featured on the front page. But I also wasn't here for Kamigawa, so I don't know exactly how it was marketed. The internet was also a very different place in 2004, as weird it is, as that is to say. That's true. But yes, you didn't you didn't have products like now if you open a booster pack you have the story spotlight cards and ad cards that directly point you to magic stories website which they just didn't have so unless you were browsing the kamigawa mini sites you didn't know those stories existed after ravnica we came back to dominaria with uh time spiral and an event known as the mending this is when um Magic's creative lead uh brady domermuth was uh at the forefront uh, he was very active with the fans at the time and would express, you know, he would he would follow up with people on like the forums and answer questions as he could. Uh, but what this did, this story, is it completely changed and depowered Planeswalkers in such a way that it upset most of the existing fan base uh, to the point where there was a rather major schism in the fan base. Uh, where a whole lot of those old timers basically just up and left because the story had been changed so fundamentally on them, uh, basically overnight, just like it had been changed on Planeswalkers. Uh, but that really started the new era. People were so upset they called them uh, Brady Walkers for like four or five years. I was longer than Brady they should have. Popular. Yeah. Some people are still <laughs> calling them Brady Walkers. <laughs> I have seen. The phrase Brady Walker used, I think, within the last two years. Yeah, so people are still people still harbor resentment over that major paradigm shift in the story. Even though that's the change that actually brought Planeswalkers back into the story and let them be actual characters, so it was structurally a very, very good change. So I should also note that uh, Savor the Flavor began around the same time as Time Spiral in 2006. Uh, this is important because this was a column that just focused on lore, and it was a week regular weekly column, and would go on for years uh, before finally being canceled. But I'll get to why that was important in a second. Um, after Time Spiral, we didn't actually deal with these new planeswalkers. We went to Lorwyn for two years, 2007 and 2008, uh, where we actually had a block structure much like we had after Magic Origins, where we had uh Lorwyn and was it morning tide and then uh shadow more and eventide yep that's right uh that was kind of an experiment on how they could restructure blocks 
Uh, the story had nothing to do with anything else that was going on. So if you were excited to meet these new planeswalkers that they just introduced, you'd have to wait two years for a story that actually featured them. (laughs) Uh, But that's when we finally entered what's usually known as the post-mending era. I guess Lorwyn's included in there, but I tend to not really include it because even though the planeswalkers were in the set, they didn't appear in the story. It was still like the last remnant of the plane hopping era. Uh, so the post-mending era is, I would say, lasted from 2008 to, to 2015 till Magic Origins had another pretty major paradigm shift. Um, but there was a lot of changes at this time frame. So the modern status quo, everything you know and like about the story now, today, was established around 2008. The novels Alara Unbroken, The Purifying Fire, and Agents of Artifice introduced essentially the entire Gatewatch and the supporting cast that you know today. There was a major change in that rather than one novel per set, the novels weren't doing so well, so they scaled back to one novel per block and one a Planeswalker novel, uh, which was basically not connected to the uh, set story at the time but instead a character piece. So like Agents of Artifice and The Purifying Fire were Planeswalker novels. Yeah. There was also from 2007 to 2011, uh, a series of web comics that fleshed out the characters. That's what actually brought me into the story is I was reading the web comics and I wanted to learn more about the characters. So I started getting into the novels at the time. Yeah, those were all intertwined very, very tightly to the point where if one, say, got canceled then the others wouldn't make sense anymore. So um, there might be some complications due to that. Who knows? So both the novels and the web comics were canceled <gasps> around the 2010-2011 line. <gasps> That's just what Carrie said. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because the novels had gotten aggressively bad. Uh, the, Mirid- the Scars of Mirrodin novel is known as one of the biggest piles of trash ever produced by magic i literally i could the first time i sat down to read it i couldn't finish it i didn't actually finish it until i did my until eight years later when i went back to do my uh my mirrodin story summary and had to read the whole book (laughs) that's how bad it is yeah it was um painful for me to go through i didn't ever go through it casually i only went through it taking notes so that i could like remove myself from whatever storytelling there happened to be whatever really really dry storytelling there happened to be yeah so the novels they were expensive to make no one really wanted to buy them uh if there's anything that's we know is true about magic players is they don't really want to buy anything but magic cards it's an expensive hobby so brady on the forums had mentioned that they've tried every combination of money time uh and what have you in trying to make the novels good and there was no guarantee of success no matter what combination of money time uh you you throw at an author yeah so we we've talked about the novel that didn't get to make it uh curse of the chain veil and that was liliana's gonna be liliana's planeswalker novel that that was apparently written and then was canceled and never produced so that was going to be the next thing and that was going to talk all about the chain veil plot which we're still cleaning up today yeah sam fate keeper has a lot of tweets that we will dredge up and reply to this original one but concerning 
the exact comments about the status of Curse of the Chain Villain, what went wrong. It's very interesting when you track it, and Sam did a really good job pulling all that together. One thing we should note is that this was all kind of like flipped the table on Innistrad. So Innistrad basically had no story. Had flavor text. It had flavor text, (laughs) and it had like two summary articles talking about the story. Which is actually very close to what we got for Ixalan, but we'll we'll talk about that. There's in, what in a, a two-parter of Liliana hunting down Grizzlebrand, and yeah, that was it. Mm-hmm. Yep, but there was a bunch of side fiction. So at the time, Savor the Flavor ended because people didn't really read it. It was one of their uh, lower-performing weekly articles, and at the time, they had a ton of weekly articles. You'd have like two or three articles a day, but. Uh, what was important is that there was a lot of side stories published online about this, and we'll get into that in a second, because that was basically the birth of the modern storytelling model. So, Savor the Flavor was cancelled, uh, they tried the IDW comics for a while, that lasted for two years and created the best character in Magic Canon, Dak Faden, greatest thief <laughs> in the multiverse. Uh, <laughs> Jenna and Doug, uh, so Jenna Helland and uh, Doug Bear who had been around since uh, the beginning of the post-mending era, they each took a stab at writing a uh, ebook novella for Return to Ravnica and Theros, so there would be a story. And honestly, they're both pretty good. I think the Theros novel by um, Jenna is extremely good. I, that's one of my favorite magic stories. Oh, and it, it's interesting to note, to, to go back here, is that the IDW comic, while the IDW comics were being produced, they were telling backstories kind of in parallel with where the main story was. So when the main story was on Innistrad, Dak was doing Innistrad things, and then he went and did things on Ravnica, and then he went and did things on Theros as those, as the Innistrad returned to Ravnica and Theros blocks played out. So they kind of developed that in parallel with the main story, but without crossing over into the main story itself. The timeline is a little disconnected as well as we learn. Yeah. Timeline-wise, yeah. there was a little bit of um, difficulty there. Although Dak does show up on one card in Dragon's Maze for no yeah, reason. Um, his, his time spent uh-huh. on Ravnica is pretty solidly pre-return to Ravnica due to him being on like Grixis right before then. So it's <laughs> weird. It's all timey-wimey. That's okay. Dominaria has a card, Quende, from... Almost 60 years ago, so that stuff can slide. So uh, Brady's position was eliminated in 2013, right in the middle of this effort to get these other um, the novellas and the comics off the ground. Uh, at the time, I, I would compare it, uh, the fan reaction to uh, uh, Kelly departing earlier this year, in that like Brady was one of the big people that people could reach out to. And he was fairly responsive on the forum. Uh, we're not going to get into what exactly went in there, but his he, one day he was just gone. So I mentioned Savor the Flavor went away, but that something came in its place because Innistrad had a bunch of short fiction. Uh, so Brady, before he made his post in the forum saying his position had been eliminated, had mentioned that Jenna Helland, who was one of the few people on the team at the time, her brainchild had been to try and do this online short stories again. 
So in 2012, Uncharted Realms began, which was not always directly related to the plot, but there are short stories fleshing out the world building. So they tend to be stories set in the world. For example, in in Return to Ravnica, um, I think each guild had at least one story, I think, that were told in 10 consecutive weeks that were just kind of focused on like a minor character or referenced a card from the set. And that did a lot of work towards how those guilds felt and like how the characters behaved and like what their kinds of magic were and how they interacted with other guilds. We got Raska's origin story there. Um, a lot of stuff that happened in Innistrad block ended up getting explained in Uncharted Realms. Uh, there was there was some really great stories for Theros block in there too. So out of what many people believe to be the end of magic storyline, uh, the birth of the most popular method of magic storytelling ever began. Uncharted Realms lasted until about 2016 when it was renamed Official Magic Fiction, <laughs> which was just the lamest name ever. Uh, it got renamed again to Magic Story shortly <laughs> afterwards. Um, we're, we're laughing because LOL is literally written into our notes because that name is just awful. I'm sorry. I forgot that it's was so even a thing until it was referenced again here. So that's how it, i mean it was short-lived for about two or three days i believe before they corrected it so it was it was like a half a week yeah a half a week because that was how how poorly people reacted to it uh and then uh duels of the planeswalkers carrie did you want to talk about the storytelling there duels of the planeswalkers was unique in its storytelling approach because it had to in some cases in the earlier cases it had to work within the framework that was the planeswalkers novels the Planeswalkers webcomics and the block novels to explain some of the events down to the level of people who are playing duels, new players, um, casual players who are interacting with the duels platform. And then as it grew, they started to tell more complex stories with it, but it came to generally a halt with the new era um, as far as like moving to magic duels and moving to the main storyline, but you had stuff explored in there, like um, prequel to the purifying fire and kind of sequel events to the purifying fire um, through Ramaz, yes, Ramaz, Ramaz, um, favorite planeswalker Ramaz, and it's only Andrews. He it's it's a cult of one. Can tell, can tell, can tell. Yeah, in the follow up, we had. 2013 had a lot of story, um, or 20, 2013 had the Bolas-centric story, which didn't really have anything. 2014 had the Chandra-centric story, 2015 had the Grook-centric story, and then we shifted to Magic Duels. But through each of those, you also had kind of valuable resources in-game. You had Planeswalker biographies, you had plane biographies, you had loading screens that gave you kind of trivia on um, magic and magic story. And, and artwork of scenes that hadn't been seen before. Yes, exclusive scenes that hadn't been seen before. It's a treasure trove of stuff, and um, really fun to play through. So we should note that actually um, Nissa, Kiora, and Ralzarek all originated as Duels of the Planeswalkers um, avatars, basically. Um, there were some smaller issues that arose out of duels, just 
minor continuity things. Yeah, who's that planeswalker who helped uh, Jace get the Hedron out it's of Omnixilis? It's you. It's you, Andrew. No, it's it, me. There were. I'm canon? Not to delve too far into it, but there were, even at its peak, which was the Garuk um, storyline. I, I honestly don't know if I'm saying that right or not. Um, <laughs> even at that peak, there were still inconsistencies between the story that was told in duels and the story that we got in monster and the story that was told in the campaign because in the story that was told in the trailer it was loosely you got the sense that Garuk needed to be healed and that people were going after him to be healed but who exactly were sending these planeswalkers after Garuk and um who sometimes it was avacyn sometimes, sometimes it was, it was Jace. himself and it just kind of staggered into a mess that even i'm not clear about because it's just <laughs> a little bit conflicting but yeah for the most part duels were great addition uh when the ebook novellas were ending people once again uh heralded the end of magic story altogether <laughs> uh and that is when we had cons of tarkir and so with cons and sarkin saves they everybody. tried a new yeah he did um, they tried a new storytelling method. So they took what was Uncharted Realms and was now, I believe, oh no, it hadn't been changed to official magic fiction or magic story yet, but, uh, they took Uncharted Realms and they used it to tell the actual block story rather than just side stories or related stories. Uh, it told the actual block story mixed in with, uh, side stories. So that was essentially the prototype for what we see today. Uh, that did so well that with when Magic Origins came around in 2015, we got an, uh, basically, uh, I don't want to say a soft reboot, but we got, we got some retooling of main character stories, uh, who would be main characters going forward and, uh, basically got their origin stories retold as a lead in to Battle for Zendikar. Now, what I should note about Magic Origins, before we get to BFC, because I know, Andrew, you have something you want to say about BFC. What I should mention about Origins is that when they uh, brought it in and there were some retcons there, that was yet another time. Uh, I distinctly remember a whole bunch of people saying, oh, well, Magic Story's over. They don't care about continuity. Um, but here we are three years later. It, it turns out that Chandra's brothers and sisters were never story relevant anyway, so who cares? Yeah, that was actually a big deal. Um, and in when they finally got around to addressing it in Kaladesh, uh, they finally just said Chandra was lying <laughs> to yeah. Gideon, who she didn't know very well, and who was a bounty hunter sent after her. So, surprise, she lied to get empathy. There is a weird error that went along with this when it's booted up in around the end of Innistrad block and around Return to Ravnica, the Uncharted Realms slash Magic Story column was really authored by whoever wanted to write for it. You have stories from Trick Jarrett, you have stories from Matt Tabak, you have stories from Sam Stoddard. Sam Stoddard was writing multiple stories for the Tarkir storyline. Yeah, I, for I forgot that until I think you, you said something about it somewhat recently i think in the last month and i was like oh yeah but yeah matt tayback wrote the fibblethip story it's really fun but it's wild because basically anybody could write stories and anybody was contributing to it and it was kind of inconsequential considering these were just 
side characters that they were creating there were anything even referenced on flavor text for the most part um and if there were a preference on flavor text then it was obviously inconsequential or returnable to that thing if they need to be but they could also just avoid it on return it kind of grandfathered in that era into cons of tarkir so anybody was writing on the main storyline if they wanted to and that's when we dragged in people like who kelly diggs came in on theros through i believe web design or web editing and then that's how we got a whole bunch of like web design and community team managers yeah. into the story but i mean brady was an editor doug was an editor slash i believe he was gatherer he was working on the gatherer database um, prior to being included in savor the flavor and it's kind of just people come on to create it from any different path within the company so it's kind of kelly was doing uh he was running daily mtg so blake's job yeah. now he was doing that just seeing that authorship change with the new era, we kind of got a solid roster of who we would be seeing more of, and then we got largely five character writers for these. You had Kimberly assigned to Nissa, you had James assigned to Liliana, even as far as like 2014 when he was writing the Onaki stories. Um, you had Doug assigned to Chandra, Ari assigned to Gideon, and Kelly assigned to Jace. And that would continue on through Battle for Zendikar and a few blocks further. One more thing I wanted to say about Origins is that it was kind of a structural change, but it was also, in terms of how the story was being produced, but it was also a change to the story they were actually telling before this. Um, so so a big part of the post-mending era was that we were following random planeswalkers from block to block that didn't have connections to each other. So, you know, Alara block didn't feed into Zendikar at all, which didn't feed into Scars of Mirrodin at all, which didn't feed into Innistrad at all. And all those, you know, with the exception of Elspeth, every single one of those blocks had different characters. There was kind of an A cast and a B cast. So the, the A cast was the, uh, the planeswalkers from, uh, Lorwyn, those five. Who, who actually really didn't show up in many of those blocks. Right. I mean, like, Zendikar was Jace and Chandra. It kind of, like, rotated back and forth. Like, one of those five would appear. We saw we saw Elspeth and Tezzeret way more than the Lauren five. That, that's fair. Um, remember, Ajani showed up r- right away in Alara and then didn't show up again yeah. until Theros. Um, Garrick's only appearance was his in, novel appearance got canceled the lost stories yeah. of innistrad <laughs> yeah um so so what origins was doing is kind of kind of resetting how the story was going to function and they were going to take these five planeswalkers gideon J, liliana chandra and this uh and they were going to be the the core characters moving forward and forming the gatewatch and and doing that whole thing this is when we had the name shift from Uncharted Realms over eventually to Magic Story, right. uh, where each set's story was going to be told week to week by the the core writers in creative. And it was a big experiment, and creative was pretty shaky on how to actually do this. Um, so one of the things when you had, you know, wh- whoever in the building writing whatever stories... You would always have filler, um, and like you'd always, you know, if you look at the way Cons of Tarkir Block was told, you know, 
you'd get a Sarkin story here and there, and then whatever timeline you need to fill in in terms of publishing dates, you just grab someone and have them write a little story. With the more structured storytelling in Battle for Zendikar, you can't do that. So they first way overshot for how many stories they need to tell. Yeah. So <laughs> BFC Block has like entire stories dedicated to characters like No Yandar and Mina and Den and Drana that like don't impact the plot at all. They don't move the plot forward. Uh, like the Mina and Den story, the entire point of that story was Zendikar's going to probably survive the Eldrazi. But that took up a whole week's worth of story. They were still trying to go for the Uncharted Realms approach then, more like Khans of Tarkir, and then after right. that they started slowly shifting into a more plot-centric model. So what happened in Eldritch Moon then, by Eldritch Moon, is that they had cut back so far, they didn't really have enough room to breathe. Eldritch Moon like blazed by, and it they very quickly solved the Emrakul problem. But like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the the kind of cliffhanger ending at of the promised end was a result of that trimming back. I, I think it's an appropriate ending for that block, but it I think was accentuated. The abruptness was accentuated by how little story we got at that point. So it, it it's like we said during periods of transition things get shaky, and you know there there's an upwelling of problems and you have to kind of figure out where things are going to settle before you figure it out which they did by kaladesh block um and then i'm on we should note that magic origins worked very well because it was a corset that allowed the transition from no more corsets which haha core 2019 is coming out this summer (laughs) Uh, but um it was kind of a nice stopgap to be able to switch to the new paradigm where we have two set blocks. Because they were very easily able to stop the con story, say, okay, here's five origin stories that are going to take these five characters that you're going to care about, and they're going to leave you off where those characters left off, and then we're going to have a couple of pretty cool stories to set up Battle for Zendikar, and then we'll go into Battle for Zendikar. It, it, was, it was a very helpful way to transition people into the new format. Uh, so with Dominaria and the switches coming around here, it was significantly less so. Uh, so, you know, the, the change for... Uh, Dominaria's small set came relatively late in the process as opposed to early where they could plan for it. Dominaria's story kind of got compressed down as a result. In addition to that, they had just brought in um, a new uh, narrative designer position uh, that's filled by Nick Kelman, and they wanted to bring in these outside authors, which is something they'd been wanting to do for a while. Uh, and the first you know, author was Martha Wells. Uh, so with Dominaria, I think or the reason we're seeing a lot of these continuity errors is because the, you know they had to basically scramble to make the story they had planned work and then create an entirely new story for Core 2019 uh, when it was supposed to just be a continuation of what they had already planned. Yep, writing stories takes a lot of time, and when you have two sets worth of story that while in the, you're in the middle of writing, it gets cut down to uh, one set. Your whole time frame for publishing changes, and uh, like we said, this whole big plot point had to get lopped off. The real, the reality of Magic Story is that 
things have to be done by deadlines so that they can be published. Internal decisions have to be made by deadlines so that you can coordinate the work to go along with them. And what happens in a situation like this where you have multiple new employees involved, both internally and externally, um, a shift to the way the process was made, and this huge um, set shifting change on top of all that, I'm actually surprised that there are not more continuity errors in the story. Uh, We should also note that um, the coming of uh, these outside authors was very timely uh, because in the 2016, you know, after Magic Story had started to catch on, uh, the creative team, their shakeups in R&D, the creative team started losing people. Ari Levitch and uh, Adam Lee uh, are now on the D&D team. Uh, they used to be heavily involved in the writing. Uh, Chris Latoyle came and went. Uh, Kimberly Crines also left, um, kind of unannounced. Uh, and then we had, uh, pretty popular people in the community. Michael Yichow and, uh, Mel Lee both left and they are at, uh, they're at Riot now. So they're, they're doing well enough for themselves. <laughs> Good luck at Riot, guys. And then, you know, just a few weeks ago, we found out uh, Kelly Diggs uh, had also left Wizards of the Coast um, or had departed Wizards of the Coast might be a better way to put it. Uh, So now I think the creative team is just like James, uh, Wyatt, uh, Doug and Jenna, who are the heroes who brought us to the current magic story, uh, and Allison Lurs, who is our, our good friend, and we hope she stays there forever. And that brings us to today. But I mean, Realistically, Ixalan was almost not going to happen uh, because of all these departures. Uh, it was just an unsustainable, from everything I've heard, it was unsustainable. Part of the issue is having the creative team members writing the story is that they also have to build your worlds and you know write art descriptions and manage creative text. And jumping from one block a year to two blocks a year essentially doubled all that work, especially on the world building end, which takes the longest whoever in Wizards makes these kinds of decisions, they went with the option of hiring an outside writer so that their internal staff would have more time to do the actual world building and art descriptions and creative text, because now they're going to do potentially three worlds a year. So let's talk about uh, Magic Story Dominaria. Slime Episode 10. The Slimefoot one. Y'all thought he wasn't going to get a story and he here Slimefoot is doing 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 the little fungus thing. So yeah, uh, I I really liked this one because it it covered basically the entirety of Slimefoot's time on the Weatherlight and how he's been. I'm sorry, it's been getting to know uh, the crew. It uh, was that just that blotch on the side of the Weatherlight back in the story on Bogarden where they get attacked by a phoenix. During the phoenix attack, it ran, tried to run and uh, fell down and ended up along with the uh what it calls the white star or the weatherlight's power stone and we learn from this that the weatherlight is at least semi-conscious so way back in apocalypse the weatherlight was actually a thinking um speaking being uh into people's minds and we see some of that starting to emerge again here this was kind of hinted at with um tiana uh, when when she kind of prays to the Power Stone and wakes up and she knows how to fix things because she says the Power Stone is telling her, this Slimefoot story confirms that the Weatherlight is still a, a sentient being, essentially. Um, it 
talks to Slimefoot because Slimefoot's chilling in a storage room right next to the engine, uh, which I think is super duper cool. And White Star is important because of all the white mana in there because Sarah's realm has collapsed into the Power Stone. So we get a lot of cool character moments um, from the various stories we've seen already, like Arvad and Tiana worrying about the others as they're in Talaria. Slimefoot reproduces, it creates a bunch of uh, saprolings while in the Power Stone housing assembly area. There's a moment in Jamura where Slimefoot wakes up and hears Joyra and Tefiri's little time together. It wakes up again in Yavamaya, uh, and we learn Jaya isn't sure if she wants to see Joda again yet. She doesn't know if she's back back yet. Uh, and they, I really need a scene of them reuniting by the end of this if she doesn't die. <laughs> like, I need it so bad. Uh, there's a great bit where, uh, Gideon and Liliana, uh, have a spat about telling Chandra about Josu. And, um, Gideon's quote is like, I don't even know what you're asking me. Are you trying to find out why my first impulse isn't to use information given to me in strict confidence by one friend to manipulate another friend? And it's just a, a like Liliana trying to learn to be selfless from Gideon and from Arvad is just hilarious <laughs> as this goes on. Arvad, Tiana, and Raph uh, discover Slimefoot from the smell, basically from the chemicals that uh, it is transmitting through the air to uh, its 10 babies. He gets Tiana and neither of them know what the hell is going on. So they go get Raph because he's in school and Raph is fantastic and tries to talk to Slimefoot and then is just adorable. Raph is the best. We must protect him. And they they kind of lead Slimefoot out and Slimefoot just kind of roams around the ship and just like watches people do stuff. Like this is the moment where Liliana tr- <laughs> like Liliana asks Arvad why he doesn't just eat everybody. <laughs> basically like like how do you, how do you not eat you're a vampire. How do you not eat people? And Arvad's like, well, I just believe I'm a really good person. And like Tiana's like, what are you trying to like be learn how to be a better person? And it's like, no, no, no. I just want to know how how Arvad, you know, is is a good person, even though he's kind of a terrible thing on the inside. And she's not doing a very good job of covering up her intentions of <laughs> trying to figure out how to be a better person. It's great because she's like, so there's not a trick to it. <laughs> yeah. Because she's like so obsessed with like finding a shortcut to being a better person, which is like classic sitcom. There's no shortcut to being a better person. You just got to be a better person. It's it's the it's the George Costanza problem. Always always trying to find the shortcut to be likable, despite the fact that he's just an awful human being. And Liliana's kind of the same way. Uh, there's also so uh, Slimefoot starts exploring the ship, and there's a great moment with Gideon and Teferi. Which, by the way, is a pairing I really like because Gideon has a lot to learn from Teferi and getting over past mistakes and atoning for them, not like, you know, trying to kill yourself over and over because of them. Slimefoot walks in, waves, Gideon notices, and he's just like, uh, Teferi? And Teferi looks over and is like, oh yeah, that's a Thalad. And <laughs> Gideon's just like, uh, that doesn't really help me. What is it doing here? What's going on? And there he like just pauses for a second. He doesn't actually say any of this, but this is how he imagined it going in his head. He just pauses for a second. And is just like, you know what? You know what? This is somebody else's problem. Whatever this weird alien thing that just walked in, I'm not dealing with it today. 
I like it because one of Gideon's biggest problems since he was reintroduced in Limits is that he doesn't know when to say no to a problem, and he ends up taking on more than he can handle. And so sometimes just saying some self care. Yeah, exactly. And so sometimes just saying, you know what, this one's not my problem (laughs) is, is pretty great. It was also reminded me of a slightly quippier Gideon from the purifying fire where, uh, Shan, he, he talks to Chandra about stealing the dragon scroll. Uh, and he go and she goes, um, all right, fine. So I'm a bad person. She says, I had a troubled youth and Gideon's response is like, you're still having a troubled youth. (laughs) Um, and then there's later where Chandra attacks the leader of the order of Heliod and, uh, Gideon just stands there and, and lets it happen. And the, uh, the oh, leader I forgot is about like, this scene. This is yeah. so good. <laughs> it's like the best Gideon scene ever. Uh, and the leader's like, why didn't you protect me from her? And Gideon just shrugs and goes, you got guards. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, there's another great scene where Joyra and some of the other crew are, uh, character building together, essentially, where Raph is, uh, asking Shauna about her tragic backstory, even though she doesn't have one. And he's like, no, come on, all famous warriors have to have tragic backstories. And it's kind of ragging on the, the Weatherlight saga where everyone has like this horribly tragic <laughs> backstory. And there's a, a line where uh, she asks, uh, Shauna asks back, well, what about your tragic backstory? And Raph is like, oh, you don't know how, how rough the Talarian Academy is. And Joyra just <laughs> like looks over and is like, oh, yeah, how many time rifts have you been stuck in? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, right. I think Joyra asks him about, well, yo, what's your tragic backstory? And I think it's Shauna who quips up, someone quips up that, you know, because Raph's like 12 and they're like, he's too young to have a tragic backstory. And then he's like, no, the school's really hard. Um, but then Slimefoot goes and explores, but leaves all its uh, sapperling kids with uh, Raph to babysit. And so Raph gets to be the sapperling babysitter, which is fantastic. Like, this story was so good. It's got like all the good Slimefoot stuff and all the good Raph stuff. It was the perfect story reminding us why we should care about these characters before we throw them into mortal danger with the last two. The story finishes with Slimefoot on the top deck and uh, Jai is helping Chandra train and Karn's just sitting there watching them. And, you know, Karn sits there and chills with uh, Slimefoot and it was like, you know, this this sucks that uh, that uh, Multani got mad at me and this Ilex is really dangerous but I gotta go nuke this world because I maybe started this huge problem there and uh, nobody seems to think it's a problem. So, so I'm kind of on my own here and uh, gotta do what you gotta do. And for me personally, that's getting really close to Urza line of thinking. Yeah, I was about to say that's some Urza level justification of your actions. Assuming we go to New Phyrexia at some point with Karn and the Silex and whatever the hell happens there, I think it's going to give me a lot of fodder. There's an article I want to write on how, despite having such a different personality and outlook on the multiverse from Urza, Karn is just so much like Urza. It's really tragic. But then uh, the story kind of ends with Jaya and Chandra, and Chandra's trying to focus, and she's chatting with Jaya, and you know, Jai's like, you gotta help find your true self. And by the story, once again, we, we get Chandra really kind of pining for, for Nyssa. And I think we're gonna get some Power of Love stuff happening. 
in the future. Um, hopefully with less time travel. Girlfriends. So, you know, they end uh, with Urborg in the distance, meaning we're coming up on the final battle. Two more stories left. What I like about the crew is how many of them just take Slimefoot in stride and how many of them are just genuinely kind to Slimefoot. Uh, even though he's like a stinky fungus on their ship. <laughs> They're all just like, you know what? Whatever, man. We'll get you back to where you need to be. Uh, and I think it's also important to note that Slimefoot knows it's not done growing yet. Slimefoot is actually very small for a Thalid. If you look at a lot of the Thalid artworks, they're like human size and sometimes oh, bigger. Oh, they, they get way bigger. They get big. If we ever have a return to Dominaria, it'd be neat to have Slimefoot, except Slimefoot is like bigger than Raph now. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, st I'm still hoping Slimefoot does some growing in the next two stories and plays some kind of key role in this final battle against Belzenlock. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yes, this, I would love that. I mean, like, it's it's funny because I'm the one who rails against drawing too many comparisons between characters, but he's kind of the Groot of the crew, um, <laughs> and I kind of I I want him to have that Groot moment where this weird botanical creature that's part of technically part of the crew gets to do some savage beatdowns. Our friend uh, Kaburi has done some like does like short fiction on Twitter. And uh, has already done like bells and lock threatening some of uh, Slimefoot's saprolings and, <laughs> and getting getting some uh, grief because of it. But anyway, uh, we have gone on for long enough at this point. Let's turn to final thoughts, Andrew. I got none. We talked so damn long this episode, so I'm done. All right, Carrie. Any last thoughts? I'm just checking Twitter. Um, somebody posted. They apparently revealed the Magic 2019 author in another story podcast, introducing Robert B. Wintermute. I don't know who this guy is. No! Magic oh, 2019 wow. Magic story no. author, so I guess we'll have to talk about that next week. When I was talking about aggre the aggressively bad novels, they were the Ro Robert B. Wintermute novels. <laughs> oh, no, that Carrie is you joking. Know, we're going to have to start editing our podcast notes. Final thoughts for Jay and Andrew and troll moment for Carrie. I did, I did so a good. serious like, one last week. We can, we can do a joke one this week. You, had me, you really had me going there for a second. I'm like, oh, did someone get the podcast early? And then you're like, Robert B. And I'm like, you... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.